This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show as we're about a week and a half away from the start of Big Ten Conference Football Media Days. We've already had SEC Media Days out there, so guys, it's that time of year. Things have really started to gear up, so we we can kind of shift away from the heavy recruiting talk we've had this summer and, and really start focusing on kind of this team for 2016, year two, year two of Mike Riley, um, just some of the pressing issues. Last week in our show, we talked about captains and debated that topic extensively. Today, as we start off the show, uh, we wanted to lead off with just a discussion of offensive players um, kind of under the radar, guys that, you know, we're not we're not going to sit here and talk about Westerkamp and, and you know, Tommy Armstrong and, and guys that we already know, Nick Gates. We want to talk about some names on this team that could really shake things up in 2016 that maybe right now you're not thinking about. And uh, as I bring in Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, I'm going to start with you, Robin. Give me a name or two on the offense that maybe the common Husker fan doesn't really think about but could really change this season up. Well, I mean, he's a guy that isn't necessarily new on the radar, but maybe you're talking about just overall importance of his play for Nebraska's offense. I'm, I'm going to go David Neville at right tackle. I mean, this is a guy that they've been waiting for you know a few years now to really become that dominant uh, kind of corner piece on the offensive line, and this is his opportunity. They gave him all the first-team reps uh, at right tackle opposite Nick Gates uh, to, to be that guy, and you know I think that he showed some promise, but uh, his play is really going to be pivotal for Nebraska's offensive line because after him and Gates, there's really no proven depth uh, behind them. There's a lot of question marks on that offensive line at the tackle position. So uh, David Neville, I think he doesn't get talked about enough as you know one of those key um, you know players to watch in terms of you know how good this offense is going to be. All right, Nate, give me a name for you. Okay, I'm going to keep it up front there because uh, I think that's where it all starts for Nebraska and and, uh, and stay with uh, Gerald Foster right next to Nick Gates. I think that left side has a lot of potential to be pretty special. But Gerald Foster, again, is, is going to be a first-year starter, Is not uh, does not have a ton of experience. But, you know, we saw some flashes from him this spring uh, that he could be pretty special, especially working in tandem with Nick Gates. And um, and I think, you know, that it's those two guys kind of bring an attitude to that front that Mike Cavanaugh and this coaching staff really, really want. And uh, it's a physicality, a toughness, kind of some bullies out there. And uh, and I think that's going to be important for, for those guys to, to really get this run game going uh, and be, you know, kind of – uh, just kind of set the tone, I guess, for this offense going forward. All right, call me out if I'm if I'm kind of not really jumping on a limb here, but I think Divino Zigbo. I think most people in the conference in the country have no idea who Divino Zigbo is. But if you were to ask me right now, I think he's somebody um, that could end up being Nebraska's leading rusher, despite Terrell Newby returning. I think a lot of the rushing yards though will depend on Armstrong, how much they decide to run him. Uh, I know we've read articles, though, from his experience at the Manning Academy that, um, you know, checking it down is something he needs to do a better job of. I think we all know that. Um, So maybe uh, Armstrong checking it down will shave off some rushing yards for him. But how many design runs will he get? But I do think Ozigbo guys, when you look at what he showed in the bowl game and in the spring, um, he's a player that could end up, you know, having a huge season that maybe a year ago uh, wasn't even in the discussion. Well, he's so different from the other backs. I mean, just from a size standpoint, I mean, it's not even comparable between Terrell Newby and Mikhail Wilbon, just, you know, from a stature. Uh, I mean, Ozigbo is just a beast. I mean, he's put together about as well as any running back that, you know, we've seen in a while. I mean, just with his frame and well, what he showed in that UCLA game, he can be that between the tackles, grinded out guy. And, and along with that, you know, along with the, the checkpoint or check down uh, point you made earlier, uh, his hands are a lot better than people think. I mean, he's a much better receiver than, you know, you might assume when you look at him just from an eyeball test. So, I mean, he's a guy that I think could be on the field a lot. I mean, not just situationally as, you know, some short yardage guy, but but as, a, you know, a third down passing guy as well. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washout. We're talking about offensive players 
that could emerge this year that maybe you're not thinking about. Nate, did you have something you wanted to add on Ozigbo? Well, yeah, I was going to say, you, you look at him and you think, okay, this guy's a one-trick pony. He's kind of a, a short yardage you know, guy, but he's so much more than that. And, and I think that his game coming out of high school especially was, um, wasn't necessarily a between-the-tackles, grinded-out guy. I know I've been able to, to talk with, uh, with his trainer back in Texas that, that he worked out with coming out of high school. And, and when he spent a few weeks back there uh, after, this, after this spring semester, one thing that they really worked on or, or one thing he told him they was w- working on was becoming more physical and finishing those runs in between the tackles to go along with his ability to, to run outside and, and to catch the ball and be a threat in different ways. I wanted to throw one more guy out there that you know probably hardly anyone has talked about it uh, might end up being a, a, a starter who's going to play a lot is Luke McNitt. At that full yeah, I was going to say that as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean this, this guy's filling in, you know, some pretty darn big shoes with Andy Janovich moving on, and he's a guy that can catch. He's right. a former he's tight end, high school quarterback, quarterback yeah. started quarterback at UNK, UNK as a true freshman. Yeah, and so he's a versatile athlete, uh, and I think that Danny Langsdorf mentioned him a few times uh, over the course of spring ball as a guy they really like as that kind of receiving fullback. So I mean, not only is that lead blocking hard nosed guy, but his athleticism is going to allow him to be a real nice piece uh, as a receiver the backfield as well and Nate I'm not surprised at all he's kind of the name that emerged I know Harrison Jordan kind of by default was the guy people talked about because he was the only fullback but they moved Graham Nabity and they moved um, Luke McNitt both at fullback and I think that was by design I I think Jordan physically might be a little limited because he's just not very big I mean he's you know when you talk about the Big Ten taking on linebackers taking on the defensive linemen as a fullback um, McNitt to me it was going to be the guy all along based on his athletic ability. He was a Nebraska high school athlete of the year, state champion in shot put a phenomenal high school quarterback. Um, and I just think he's the the perfect guy for this fullback job. I think, uh, I think you're right. Jordan is kind of that thumper, you know, that traditional throwback fullback that, that's just going to go uh, and kind of clear the way. But a guy like McNitt can also do that, but brings a lot of versatility. And, and one thing that we've seen from Mike Riley, Danny Langsdorf is that they like to get creative they like to have guys that are that can do a number of different things. You throw McNitt in there, they can go in some heavy packages, and and he's a guy like 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 we mentioned can catch the football. I think he he's got some ball skills. He can run and he can block. So he he's the total package right there that could be kind of uh, that could definitely emerge as as one of those uh, key guys in this offense. And as we've seen with Andy Janovich, if you emerge in this offense as a fullback. You get an NFL ticket out of yeah. it, and you know if McNitt has—he's a junior, right? McNitt, I think so. So he's got two years. If he if he has two good years, shows versatility, catching the ball, blocking. All of a sudden, he's an NFL prospect, and that's because really only about ten programs in the country utilize a fullback. Yeah, and you look at headed to the NFL. I mean, it, it's just like college, kind of a dying position, but there's still a need for it. And if you can establish yourself as one of the premier guys out there at, at that position, you know, albeit a, a kind of a rarely used one nowadays, I think there's opportunity there to, to you know, make your name uh, at the next level in the NFL. Who like who uses fullbacks? We know Wisconsin and Iowa have fullbacks, Nate. Um, Michigan. Uh, Michigan, obviously. Michigan. Michigan State to an extent, but I think they're more single back. Yeah. Um, and then in the SEC, LSU, um, Alabama mm-hmm. will have fullbacks at times. Uh, but it's not exactly something you see on more than maybe eight to ten top programs. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's not a it's not an everyday position by any stretch of the imagination. And and if you can, like like you said, if you can go out there and improve yourself to be a versatile player there, um, as well as a guy who can make an impact on special teams, yeah, yeah. most definitely you're going to be getting looks from the NFL, especially with Mike Riley kind of um, you know vouching for and you. Billy Devaney. Yes. Yeah, and that's what I was going to mention too. I mean, that, that athleticism that McNate has. I mean, he'll be able to do more than just be a one trick pony as a fullback. I mean. He'll be able to catch, uh, play maybe more of an H-back role, and contribute on special teams as well. All right, well, we're going to shift this over now to defensive players under the radar that could emerge this year. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we'll go back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we are discussing under-the-radar players. We just had a great discussion about uh, some guys to watch for the offense, and uh, we wanted to shift it over to the defense as this is a unit up front on the front four particularly that lost a lot of household names. Greg McMullen, Malik Collins, Vincent Valentine, and 
Some would argue Kevin Williams as a guy Nebraska's lost, the key guy, Jack Gangawish. Uh, so a number of defensive linemen must be replaced. Um, so let's start right there. I, I'm going to throw out a name, uh, Robin and Nate, uh, Mick Stoltenberg. I think he is somebody that, you know, the true insiders, the people around the program, I mean, they see this guy that looks like the Incredible Hulk walking around. Unfortunately, he missed the spring, but he is all of 6'6", all of 290+. plus. The guy carries a six-pack set of abs at that weight. I mean, he is built about as impressively, Nate, as any player on the team. I think he's a guy that could really maybe emerge this year. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. And he does. He, he kind of reminds you of that throwback, you know, Adam Carricker as a you know, nearly 300-pounder with a six-pack or a guy like Leiden Murtha who was just built, just had an unbelievable physique. But, um, you know, losing him to that knee injury I think was big. And, you know, not not having him be able to go through spring ball. And that time with Perella. And, and having that time with Perella, I think uh, I think that was really big. But So you, you're going to have to count on a guy like uh, Mick Stoltenberg to, to step up this year and give you, give you a a lot of a lot of time and, and some a lot of production at that position well with the inexperience they have at that position too I think you know there's no question he's going to have to play a major role and uh, I mean if, he, if he's anything that he or if he plays anywhere close to how he looks just from an eyeball test I mean this guy's going to be a stud I mean like, like you guys have mentioned uh, there may not be a better looking defensive lineman just just from a again an eyeball test on the entire roster uh, and if he's able to kind of pair that I mean he showed flashes last year he got some good playing time um, you know in, in that defensive tackle rotation playing behind you know two future NFL draft picks and that Iowa play where he recovered that muff punt that ended up being called back I mean and he ran that like mm-hmm. what 20 30 yards and then held the ball out like it was like a <laughs> ping pong ball in his hand everybody was like holy yeah yeah so I mean he's got all the potential in the world it would seem like and that's probably one of the more disappointing things of the spring was that he wasn't able to be out it there. happened in bowl practice yeah yeah so I think you know John Perella's got got a real nice piece to work with there but uh, we'll see how he comes back off that injury once he get back, gets back to action all right let's stick on defensive line and I'm gonna go to Nate on this because he's basically like the Kansas City resident expert of the Davis Twins and all, all Kansas City prospects. Nate, are the Davis Twins going to be guys that within the Big Ten people are going to be talking about by season's end? Well, I, I do believe that they will be guys that, that people are going to be talking about, and they, they have to be. They These two guys that are going to be counted upon to, to step up, and, and we saw flashes of what they could do uh, this offseason during the spring. Obviously, Khalil Davis um, started the spring game, uh, and, um, and these guys put together some impressive freshman seasons I mean when you're talking about a freshman winning lifter of the year and yeah. and what they did in the offseason they with, placed in Big Ten track yeah they placed I think Khalil was third in the Big Ten uh, tournament and and Carlos was ninth and their seventh. teammate was the national champion and their t- yeah their teammate I mean um, I mean Nick Percy is that his name the thrower whatever Nick is his name but he was a national champion discus thrower so yeah they th- these guys had amazing years to, to do what they did Nate yeah, they're extremely special athletes, and um, and they're going to be counted upon to to make you know make some noise and give a lot of production. And um, and I, I really think that uh, just from following these guys throughout their high school career and, and kind of seeing how they developed over this over their redshirt freshman year at Nebraska, I think they're two guys that are poised to uh, to make some waves in, in the Big Ten. And uh, if they can stay healthy, I think they can become some household names. I'm going to throw a couple more names out here as we, we discuss under-the-radar players, and I, I think a lot of this is on defensive line right now because the back seven, in a lot of ways, is established. I think we know a lot of the guys that are going to play, but we'll still get into that. But Peyton Newell, defensive tackle, he's kind of the forgotten guy but had a nice spring. And then Alex Davis, another defensive end that redshirted. Um, you know, he's somebody, Deshaun Neal even, but – any of those guys, kind of Robin Washett, do any of those guys jump out to you? Well, I'll start with Alex Davis. Uh, just because out of a kind of a default situation, they don't really have any pass rushers off the edge. Outside of Freedom Akamoladun, there's really nobody else on there that brings that off-the-edge speed pass rush except Alex Davis. And so I think naturally when you look at those third-down situations when uh, Nebraska wants to get some speed on that defensive line, Alex Davis is going to have to play. And, you know, again, he's one of those guys that's not the biggest guy in the world. He still needs to bulk up uh, to be an every-down end. But I think right now as a situational guy, he can definitely provide an impact uh, as that, you know, that, that rush end, that 
that gets after the quarterback uh, and can really you know be a, a real threat opposite freedom I mean that's some serious speed off the edge that could give a lot of teams uh, some some problems to work with because who, who do you double team in that situation well and the other guy too is Cedric King we I didn't mention him but I think he, it would be basically between him and Alex Davis Nate uh, for that kind of third defensive end spot after freedom and Ross Azuris right now yeah, and, and Cedric King, I think, is a guy that they've been wanting to come along and, and see more out of him. I, I think he, he did put together uh, a much maybe his best spring since he's been at Nebraska. But um, just in terms of raw potential, I, I think Alex Davis is most definitely that guy. And you have to remember, this is a kid that's only played two years of football. He played his first year of football as his senior year in high school. Ended up getting a scholarship to Nebraska. Put on about 40 pounds. Put on, yeah, put on nearly 40 pounds. He's 6'5", 255 pounds now big long lean athletic kid and I think you know going back to to the uh, the offensive discussion where we talked about them like liking to be creative well this is a guy you could get creative with and use him in a number of different uh, ways uh, just uh, situational packages subsets whatever to get after the quarterback generate some sort of pass rush because uh, that's something that was sorely missing last year and speaking of getting creative am I way off base here even with this thought guys that with all all the linebackers Nebraska has, Marcus Newby, Dedrick Young, Josh Banderas, Michael Rose-Ivy, Chris Weber. Could we see maybe one or two of those guys even be utilized in a pass rushing role? I think Marcus Newby would be the natural. He's already done that in his career under Bo Pelini's defense. I think Dedrick Young could do it as well. But with Nebraska's lack of established pass rushers right now, I think freedom would be the only one today you'd be confident on the edge uh Desiris is not really a true pass rush guy he's more of kind of play his technique and and, and do his job uh, but could we see that at all like one of these linebackers you think get on the line of scrimmage you could and you mentioned probably the most likely candidates but here's another thing for you keep in mind Mark Banker has shown he's not afraid to dial up different variations of blitzes whether it be with linebackers defensive backs or even safety blitzes I mean and just different ways to get after the quarterback and so two names that I want to bring up in that regard that could be potential guys is those kind of you know, versatile uh, hybrid type guys, Muhammad Barry and Antonio Reed. Uh, I think both yeah, those Muhammad guys, Barry, definitely. Those guys could both be used in a variety of different ways. I mean, they're just so athletic, so fast, and you know, both have had very good off seasons. Obviously, Antonio Reed has been hurt, but you know, just seeing him at some of the camps, you know, this summer. I mean, he looks ready to play right now. Uh, and so, I think those two guys are some really kind of intriguing pieces to this defense that I'm really fascinated to see how Nebraska tries to use them. And I think in certain blitz packages, uh, that could be some uh, areas where they specialize. And I think another young linebacker that, that has some of that versatility is Tyron Ferguson. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, he was the Louisiana 5A defensive player of the year. Had like 18 sacks yeah. or 16 sacks, right? Close to 20 sacks, and he had like something ridiculous, like 36 tackles for a loss. And he only played defensive end, so he I think he feels comfortable rushing the passer, and he could be a guy that they, you know, if they dial up a certain package, um, you know, that he, he could potentially uh, put some pressure on the quarterback there. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we talk about defensive players that we're not really talking about now that could end up being uh, key players down the road. Let's close in the secondary. I'm going to throw some names out. You mentioned Antonio Reed. Mm -hmm. um, he got the start and played a lot in the bowl game, but then got hurt in the spring. So we didn't get to kind of see where that was going to go. Avery Anderson's another name that had a nice spring for Nebraska. Eric Lee could be that guy. Uh, a couple of the freshmen, Lamar Jackson, we know he's going to play. I, I don't even consider that really a surprise based on what Brian Stewart has told Nate and I already when we ran into him at summer camps. But DiCaprio Boodle, Nate, um, that's another name – um, he might be one of the two or three fastest Huskers on the roster right now. Uh, but Boodle is somebody that could maybe be a surprise freshman. Yeah, he's and he's bulked up. I mean, I think that was the one big question about Boodle uh, heading into you know w when Nebraska signed him was okay. How long is it going to take for him to see the field? Because uh, at you know at last year heading into his senior season, he was kind of still of a smaller guy. Well, he bulked up to 185 pounds or so, and actually quit track halfway through the track season to uh, to maintain that weight. So when he got to Nebraska, he wouldn't be behind the he wouldn't be behind the bar there uh, as far as weight and strength. 
strength. So uh, he, he is more one of the more intriguing guys just based off of his speed and, and what he brings to the table, um, you know, in terms of overall athleticism. Well, guys, this was fun. I enjoyed doing these uh, two segments as we get ready for Big Ten Media Days here. Uh, we will take off for Chicago on uh, Sunday, July 24th. Um, so a little bit over a week. And to get you primed up for Big Ten Media Days, I caught up with the Big Ten Network.com's Tom Deanhart to get some bigger picture storylines heading into this 2016 season. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, just a few weeks away from Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. Sean Callahan back here, and we'll definitely be in Chicago uh, with our entire Husker Online crew. But really the man in Chicago for the Big Ten Network uh, and BigTenNetwork.com will be Tom Deanhart, a former colleague of ours of Rivals.com. Tom, uh, summer's going by way too quick, man. I I don't want to be seeing you in Chicago just quite yet, but uh, it's coming around the corner. Too quick, buddy. Got to make a few more trips up to the local pool, do some more cannonballs, and get a few more games of wiffle ball in. But you're right, Sean. I mean, the countdown's begun, like you said, uh, the end of July, Big Ten media days, and and then uh, everybody's going to camp. So yeah, that's getting closer, buddy. What when you when you go into this media days last year? Obviously, adding Harbaugh was the huge story, and Ohio State won the national championship. Um, I mean, this year, is it going to be kind of Harbaugh-Meyer, the sequel? I mean, what, what are the big storylines for you going in uh, when you look at this league? Because clearly the image of this league has changed so much over the last two years. Yeah, you're right. I think those are two big ones, obviously. Um, the continued development of Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. 10-win um, season in his debut. I don't think anybody anticipated that. What's next? Can he really make a push for the East title? Uh, you talked about Ohio State, of course. Uh, a disappointment last year, honestly, Sean. Twelve NFL draft picks on that team, I believe. Um, they fooled around with that quarterback position right out of the gate, and it turned out to bite them and cost them the East title shot at the national championship. It's going to be a motivated Ohio State team, so that's always going to be a good storyline, too, I think. And, um, you know, out west, you know, Nebraska, of course, 6-7 and seven for, for Mike Wiley. I think um, – they had, well, four losses by a combined eight points. That's Nebraska's rebound is going to be, I think, a big storyline in that division. And Iowa, too, Sean. Um, their schedule is still pretty favorable. I'm not saying they're going to go 12-0 again to start the year, but I think they may be the favorite coming into 2016 in the West. Yeah, I think you have to look at Iowa as the favorite. They return their quarterback. They're strong on both the offensive and defensive lines. They did lose Drew Ott, but – um, you know, I think in this league, in, in the division, if you have line play and quarterback play, that's going to go a long way. Yep. Exactly, man. Up front, you know, your, your listeners know football is won up front. It's not won by the five-star running backs or the five-star quarterbacks. You've got to be able to block and tackle up front. And like you said, Iowa's going to be pretty good in the trenches. C.J. Beathard, the second-best quarterback returning in the Big Ten, right behind J.T. Barrett, I believe. Uh, nice veteran presence who played in some big games last year. It's going to be a big asset for Kirk Ferentz going into year 18 there. Wow. <laughs> this almost makes me feel old because I remember covering his first uh, games against Nebraska 18 years ago uh, as we're talking Big Ten football uh, with Tom Deanhard of the Big Ten Network uh, as we get ready uh, for the Big Ten media days. And, you know, you look at Wisconsin, Tom, they, their schedule, I mean, they basically – Whoever drew the schedule said, you know what, we're going to make Wisconsin really earn <laughs> the, nine, the nine or ten wins because it's LSU, it's Michigan, it's Michigan State, it's Ohio State and Iowa, and then they play Nebraska. So Nebraska, the timing of that game, it is in Madison, it is a night game, which everybody knows that's a tough place to play at night. But, I mean, how big of a break does Nebraska get going out to Madison after those first seven games? Ohio State's going to – or uh, Wisconsin's going to play arguably five ranked teams of their first seven opponents. Yeah, you've heard the old phrase, it's not, it's not uh, who you play, it's when you play them. And you're right, uh, the Badgers will have run a pretty treacherous gauntlet of, of opponents leading into that visit from Nebraska. So maybe they'll be softened up, maybe they'll be demoralized, who knows. There certainly are plenty of questions in Madison, even entering the fall. Of course, new quarterback, Joel Stave, gone. 
Um, it's Corey Clement. Is he, is he going to be the same Corey Clement we saw in 2014? You know, the sports hernia injury limited him to four games last year. And defensively, uh, secondary is being retooled. And most importantly, Sean, new defensive coordinator. Um, you know, how do you replace, uh, you know, uh, the coordinator that went down to LSU, uh, Dave Aranda. Uh, Justin Wilcox came into USC, but again, Aranda was a, was a heck of a D.C. And now he's gone, of course. Wisconsin gets to face him right away in that opener in Green Bay. We're talking with Tom Deanhart of the Big Ten Network. You know, another um, interesting thing this year to watch is nine conference games. I don't think people, the fans in general, don't really realize what that's going to do to records. We see it in the Pac-12 every year. They play nine league games and a title game. It's very difficult to go undefeated. More often than not, a 12-1 and team in the Big Ten um, is going to be playoff worthy because uh, the days of going 13-0 and when you're playing nine conference games and another Power 5 non-conference game as well and a championship game, man, that's a long, long road to get to the college football playoff. It's going to be tough. You're right. Um, you figure you're losing one, quote-unquote, maybe Patsy in a non-conference, replacing it with a Big Ten team. going to be a better quality and a more difficult hurdle to try to you know navigate uh, over so you're right the, the records could take a hit and it's all about getting to that 14 playoff and, and maybe the big 10's odds would get a little bit you know longer now with that ninth conference game you just sort of wish don't you all the power leagues couldn't get on the same table here have the same template when it comes to how their schedules are structured everybody play the same conference games number of conference games and everybody play a championship game it's just too bad you can't have a uniformity across the board but it is what it is the Big Ten wanted more attractive games for television, and it's certainly going to get that. Yeah, you know, the SEC, do you think it's strictly a deal where they're just protecting those head coaches and those programs? Because you, you go 6-6 six and six in the SEC because you're playing nine conference games or even 5-7. and seven, There's going to be a lot more guys fired down there with the amount of money that's thrown around, the stadiums down there. I mean, do you think that is the sole reason they're just trying to kind of protect these head coaches a little bit more down there in the South? It could be, uh, you know. They always talk about how what, what a meat grinder their their conference schedule is, but again, the Big Ten's conference schedule is no bed of roses either. So I think you may be onto something there. Um, makes the coaches' jobs a little bit easier, not having to face you know a ninth conference opponent when you're in the Southeastern Conference. So uh, it's going to be fun, you know. Big Ten first year they're doing it, and uh, uh, again, there's some intriguing matchups, of course, uh, across divisions once again. What's your t- the, the the TV deal? I mean, I know you follow that stuff closely. The Big Ten teams are going to get up. I mean, what is the number you're hearing? Is it going to be $45 million plus in 17 uh, when you kind of tabulate everything together? What type of money are we talking about for Big Ten teams here in the future? And playing that nine conference game uh, probably played a big factor yeah. in, in getting that extra money. Yeah, yeah. they're going to actually the, – the, the reports are they're going to have an official announcement at Big Ten media days. Um, they're going to officially – we've seen reports, of course – Citing sources about these these respective pending uh, future television deals for the Big Ten, and again the word is there's going to be an official announcement of Big Ten media days. And you're right as far as the numbers go, 50 million, 60 million dollars a piece for the conference teams. The money is just absolutely insane. That's just television money for a place like Nebraska. You factor in all the other revenue sources as well. And again, it, it just gets staggering to think of the amount of money what college sports has become. Uh, from a revenue-generating standpoint, is just mind-boggling. We're talking Big Ten football with Tom Deanhart of the Big Ten Network.com. And uh, you mentioned Nebraska. I mean, when you look at the Huskers in general, year two, Mike Riley, um, kind of what is your um, view of Nebraska kind of being at a far when you look at this team and, and their schedule? Uh, the, the home games are easy. I mean, I think Nebraska will be a favorite in six six of their home games, Oregon being the seventh. That's kind of the toss-up game, but Oregon we know is going to be a good team. But to me, everything kind of runs on the road through this team, Tom. I mean, every tough game in the conference, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, not Minnesota, sorry, Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, Northwestern, all on the road this year for Nebraska. Yeah, if you can win uh, one or two, you're doing you're doing pretty good. Um, so that, that road schedule does them no favors, but you're right that the home schedule softens that a little bit. You know, on the field, we talked about trench play and how important that is. Um, that's a concern, I think, in Lincoln. Uh, defensive line, of course, uh, losing three good tackles. 
Uh, who's going to be the pass rusher? And then the offensive line, too, has really has something to prove, I think, as well. So um, that, that's sort of where it starts, I think, for me at least. It's how well those lines develop, especially the offensive line, I think. I think the back seven will be pretty good in Nebraska. And then, of course, the skill town on offense. Maybe the best receivers in the Big Ten along with Penn State. Nice collection of running backs. I mean, your senior quarterback. I know Armstrong has his warts, but he's played a lot of football. And uh, it's nice having a veteran under center. Where do you have, I mean, in your way too early kind of predictions, where do you have Nebraska as far as maybe bowl game and, and, and kind of final record-wise, I mean, in ballpark, if you, if you had a guess today right now? We know we talked about Iowa being the favorite. I think maybe if you really wanted to, you can make a case for Nebraska, maybe winning that division. But, again, I, th- I think Nebraska probably has to be number two. Ahead of Wisconsin, we talked about some of the issues in Madison and Minnesota, too. Um, there's a lot of questions up there with Tracy Clay's taking over. So I would say Nebraska, number two in the Big Ten West, um, you know, eight or nine win team that uh, ideally maybe gets to a bowl game in Florida. Yeah, they know? haven't been to Tampa yet. That's uh, the one game they haven't played in in Florida is the Outback Bowl. Well, yeah, there they go. You know, they love trying to get teams or schools to the venues and cities they've never been to. So that, that would seem like a, a nice resting spot for the number two team in the Big Ten West, you know, going to Tampa to play in the Outback Bowl. So that's sort of where I would at least envision Iowa at this point coming into the season. And as you look at the the East, um, everyone's talking uh, Michigan and kind of what they return and how they played last year. Great receivers coming back, but still the quarterback is a huge question. I think a lot of benefit of the doubt is going to Jim Harbaugh and his ability to develop quarterbacks. We saw it with Jake Rudock, a very average Big Ten quarterback. He made uh, very serviceable in his system, but – um, to me, it's it's going to be hard to pick against Ohio State, knowing Urban Meyer and having JT Barrett returning, who would maybe be the best player right now in the Big Ten, top to bottom. Yeah, probably the probably the top Heisman contender for the conference coming into the year, without a doubt. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. You got to go Ohio State at this point, even though we talked about the personnel losses, twelve draft choices, three offensive linemen gone, three defensive linemen gone. You know, the skill positions on offense, the receivers and running backs, a lot to prove there. There's talent, but there's a lot to prove as well. So, again, um, it's still Ohio State. We know the talent's there. And the head coach. <laughs> the game, yeah, the head coach, you know, they, they go to Oklahoma, too, in September. Watch that game. Oklahoma's a preseason top-five team, I think. That's going to be a good measuring stick for Ohio State going to Norman, Oklahoma, to take on the Sooners. But, yeah, I think you got to go Ohio State first in the East and Michigan, too. I'm, I'm with you. I, I give Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt when it comes to quarterback play. Um, what he did last year with Rudock was sensational. John O'Corn, Wilton Spate, whomever, I think I think it's going to be O'Corn in the end. But I think he'll get serviceable QB play. And whoever's taking snaps, Sean, they're going to be protected by a great offensive line. We talked about the wide receivers. Plenty of good backs led by Devion Smith as well. Well, Tom Deanhart, thanks for taking some time with us here on the Husker Online Show. Always enjoy talking, Sean. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see Tom in Chicago. Much more to come here. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here getting you through this month of July as we are getting closer to Big Ten Media Days and the start of Husker Fall Camp. And figured we'd bring in a friend here of the program, a member of our Husker Online staff that works out of the Dallas area, longtime uh, coverage guy for Nebraska football recruiting, Brian Munson. Uh, Brian, th- thanks for joining us here. I know you've had a busy summer with Verizon. Uh, you also work with Verizon, but that kept you uh, off the beat a little bit for us. But I'm sure you're glad to be back uh, involved uh, covering a lot of the recruiting here over the summer. I absolutely am. Uh, I honestly, you know, like you said, I, I go back a long ways, not quite as well, as far as you, but real close when it came to covering Nebraska. Um, this is about as fun a summer as I can remember, basically. And I think it has everything to do with just with the lifeblood and, and the energy these guys have when it comes to the program and, and, and what they're doing out there in the recruiting trail. So very fun to get to, uh, to follow very difficult to catch up though when you miss seven weeks of it during the, during the middle of the summer. That was uh, there's been a lot of catching up work to do, but I'm, I'm happy to say I'm 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 almost there. I think I finally got everything back on my thumb a little bit. You know, Brian, you were around the, with us at the satellite camps last year in Texas with the staff. You came back up this year to cover one of the Friday Night Light camps, 
and, and now having a full year to, to kind of watch these guys and in, in recruiting and, and, and what they've been able to do. What really jumps out to you about Mike Riley and his staff and, and why they've maybe had some success this year, uh, despite the fact their record in the regular season was five and seven a year ago? I think it all starts with how approachable that they really are. I don't, it's not a show. Um, you took some incredible shots of, of a moment that I had with Mike Riley. When I, I walked up to him, he didn't know me from Adam. I explained who I was in relationship to you and, 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 and to our, our site. And we got into a 10 minute conversation and that's just Mike Riley. Um, the rest of them are, are exactly the same. Uh, it, it's, it's not. It's not a show. These guys are are, are completely just down to earth. Um, I think that that's refreshing. Uh, there's. Uh, I think that the way though that they're that doesn't get lost in the fact that they're you know also very technical when it comes to their jobs. Uh, Keith Williams and, and Trent Bray, uh, I, I think, are two guys that really popped out to me both in Dallas and up in Lincoln uh, earlier uh, last month. Uh, I, I really feel like they're kind of the same guy. One guy's a little bit more vocal about it. The other guy is a little bit more uh, laid back and, and doesn't need to necessarily yell or joke around as much, but they both get the message across through different types of, 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 of ways or, or different mediums. I guess how I would kind of say it, they don't, they have different approaches. Those guys are, they're incredibly skilled at their jobs. They know what they're doing. They know how, they know how to coach guys up. Uh, Brian Stewart, John Perella, Mike Cavanaugh, on and on and on and on. They are successful with developing talent, but they're also not guys that you can't just put in front of a crowd or in a room with a recruit and his parents or let him go out and, and talk publicly. They're all capable of doing it. Mike Riley is assembling a, an, an, has assembled actually a, a tremendous staff. Sean Callahan here on the Husker Online Show, joined by Husker Online's uh, Brian Munson, a longtime uh, cover coverage man here for Nebraska football recruiting all the way back to the early 2000s. And Brian, when, when you look at this class, what do you think is missing right now? Uh, they've got a lot of guys. We know they're going to get some receivers. They've got their quarterback. Uh, they're doing good on the offensive line. But when you look at it now, where do you think they really need to hit hard uh, as they close out this summer and, and roll into the 2016 season? Well, you really want a little bit more momentum for the offensive side of the football, which is obvious. I mean, you, you're talking about a class right now that's at 11, uh, and, and you start looking at the class and you're going, okay, how does it kind of break down? I mean, what is it, three guys, I think, on the defensive side of the football, four, I think, actually. So you, you really want you really want to pick up a little bit more momentum on, on both sides. You want it to be a little more balanced. Uh, I, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. It, 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 this, this happens this happens time and time again. It has a way of playing itself out. Uh, there, there are reasons, and, and, and there's a method to the madness about why things are, are heavier in one area to start out with, and then they end up catching up with the, with, with the other side, you know, sometime around October, November. It's just, it's just the way it kind of happens in the guys that, that they're targeting. But Nebraska is out there, and they've – You've got the four offensive linemen who actually I was looking at a couple of those guys tonight and, and just kind of looking at the film. I really feel like they've done a tremendous job uh, when it comes to offensive line. Uh, I, I like what they've done with Austin Allen. I think that they're sitting good with a couple of their tight ends. Um, of course, quarterback and wide receiver look tremendous. You still need to grab that running back. That's a little bit of a hole there. You need a couple more tight ends to go along with Austin Allen. You've picked up, you know, John Perella has, has had an impact already with DeAndre Thomas and Robert Porche. Uh, and, of course, Trent Bray has, has left his mark. You know, with the first commitment in the class, Willie Hampton, and, of course, pick it up. You know, one of the guys that gets lost because of all the stars on the offensive side of the football, Avery Roberts, you know, an Avery, uh, a rival's top 100 guy, um, you know, committed back in, in April. Uh, this is a guy right here, to me, uh, could actually end up being the crown jewel of the class. Uh, he, he is a tremendous player. People, of course, Nebraska fans have known about him since his sophomore year because the offer's been out there. Uh, I think it's a tremendous job by Trent Bray to get him, but Nebraska needs to continue to go get numbers on the defensive line. They need to go ahead and get another guy and be choosy at the second level at the linebacker spot. And, of course, you know, the, the secondary where they took a lot of guys the year before um, – they still need to go back and, and, and get a couple guys this year, a couple key guys, but they're in on some huge ones. Donnie Holmes comes to mind. 
you know, th- those are there's some really big names out there that have Nebraska right at the top of their leader list, uh, and, and I think it sets up for you know a very interesting first couple of months with the, with the with the season and official visits. Brian, you were in town for the first satellite camp or uh, Friday Night Lights camp here in Lincoln, so you got a chance to eyeball some of the, the current players and even some of the cur- current true freshmen that were here um, in Lincoln. Uh, what stood out to you just getting an eyeball glimpse of the team here for the first time over the summer? I think that they're in tremendous shape. Um, Nathan, Jerry, to me, uh, I don't know if he could stack on any more weight. The dude looked like he was flexing the entire time. I, I was – I was taken aback because I was having a conversation earlier with Robin uh, uh, about who the top safety was in the Big Ten, and I was like, landed on Nathan. I'm like, it's got to be him. I mean, he's really poised for a year, uh, you know, after, what, four interceptions or five interceptions last year. Um, and in a couple of games, of big games, where he, you know, he ended up getting kicked out of uh, for penalties, which were, you know, right or wrong or, or however, how, what have you took him out of some big situations. I mean, he missed uh, basically a full game. Um, so I, I think, I think Nathan really, really popped out first. Uh, the one guy true freshman wise that really, I know everybody's talked about him is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson really looks like no other 18 year old safety I've ever seen before. Uh, or, or I should say, I should say defensive back. Cause I know he's going to push for, for time, probably not just as, as a, as a as a as a boundary cornerback, but he probably could at, at at safety as well. Even though I really liked what Aaron Williams did last year, um, I, I would also say the one guy that kind of that kind of stood out because I feel like he trimmed down, uh, and I was kind of worried about it because he was hurt last season, and I, I wanted to see where he was at. And unfortunately, he was there. Deshaun Neal, I, I really felt like he had trimmed himself down, put himself in a position to potentially you know find a way onto the football field this year. A lot of, lot of upside there with, with him. He looked really good. Colin Miller was another guy that I wanted to get a, get a chance to eyeball. Um, he's legit, 6'3 and a half, 6'4. Be very interesting to see uh, how, how and where his body takes him when it comes to the next couple, three years. Um, but overall, oh, and I saw, I saw Divino Zigbo. Now, after seeing him in high school, and I, and I knew what kind of player he was in high school at Saxe, uh, in Saxe, Texas, I thought he was really put together then I couldn't believe what I saw that Friday night that guy without pads he's a monster couldn't even imagine seeing him with pads on uh, really looking to have a breakout year I he's think. built uh, for the OC Big Ten no doubt about it Divino Zigbo built for the Big Ten yeah absolutely and and he's got a, he's got a tremendous set of skills he's he's got that ability to to get north south really quick he has the ability to go ahead and run the stretch game because he's got good enough feet the fact that he can play into the passing game, it, it's incredible. He really has all the tools that you're looking for when it comes to playing running back. It's just going to be whether or not he can put it all together, stay on the field every down, pick up that pass coverage thing, which I think is still kind of the Achilles heel in, in his game. But he's really put together. He just needs to figure it all out. Brian Munson, our guest here on the Husker Online Show. Brian, thanks for the time. I know it's uh, been a busy summer for you, and football's right around the corner, and uh, we appreciate everything you do for us here on Husker Online. Oh, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some defensive recruiting takes from Husker Online's Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show. We just heard from Husker Online's Brian Munson get some big picture recruiting takes here on this 2017 class. And we're going to close today's show with Nate Klaus as uh, last week, Nate, we we kind of went in on kind of where things are at on offense, a big snapshot of what you need to know, guys out there, as we sit really about a less than, what, three weeks from fall camp, you know, things will wind down here until that season opener game against Fresno State. Let's talk some defense. Give me your four to five names the average common Joe that follows Husker recruiting needs to watch right now on the defense. Well, I'll start up front on the defensive line, uh, especially defensive tackle, which is probably still the biggest position of need on that side of the ball. And I think uh, they're looking to add two more guys and maybe the two most likely players right now are Damian Daniels, the big defensive tackle out of Dallas that was up for Friday Night Lights and Big Red Weekend in June. Uh, And Noah Ellis, who could be the sneaky, you know, kind of uh, under the 
radar commit at some point in time because you have Robert Porsche, uh, who's who uh, who played with Luther Ellis, who's the father of Noah Ellis, uh, in the NFL for a number of years. And uh, when we spoke with uh, Mr. Porsche, he he told he told us that um, Luther and Noah were actually supposed to visit that same weekend that that they were in town, and uh, um, something came up. They weren't able to make it, but he said, uh, I was so blown away with Lincoln. I, I'm calling up Luther and I'm telling him that, uh, you know, how much I loved it there and how comfortable I felt with everything. And he said, I don't know if that will necessarily mean that they're going to jump on Nebraska's offer, but he said, I guarantee you that what I tell him will carry a lot of weight there. So, uh, and Noah Ellis, I mean, he, he's got 15, 20, 25 offers. He's a national recruit, comes out of the same high school, Highlands, uh, you know, Valor Christian out of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, same high school as Eric Lee. So, uh, that could be kind of a sneaky guy there. Then for me, I, I moved to defensive back, which I think is uh, really loaded with a number of, of likely names. But everyone knows about Darnay Holmes. But uh, Jalen Red is a, a Rivals 100 cornerback that just recently put Nebraska in his top eight. Uh, he's going to be visiting for the Oregon game in, this fall. Uh, Trajan Cotton, uh, another four-star cornerback out of California that has Nebraska right up towards the top of his list. And Gentry Bonds, uh, who's a, a cornerback out of Tennessee, which is not necessarily an area that Nebraska recruits a, a ton, but um, you know whatever Brian Stewart is 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 telling Gentry Bonds is really resonating because he's got uh, Nebraska right there in his top three. Uh, and then just the, the last final name is Jalen Kelly Powell, who's a guy who really impressed me at Friday Night Lights. Uh, he comes out of Detroit Cast Tech High School, which is a powerhouse program, uh, and he loves Nebraska. Is looking to set up an official visit here and soon. Nate, there's another Detroit defensive back as well, right? Yeah, Ambry Thomas, who's a four-star cornerback out of Detroit. Uh, he goes to Martin Luther King High School. Uh, and Ambry Thomas and Jalen Kelly Power are two very, very close friends. And actually, Ambry Thomas was supposed to come up with uh, Jalen Kelly Powell for that Friday Night Lights camp. Something came up, but he, he's also planning to, to take an official visit, most likely with Jalen Kelly Powell. So there's a lot of names in the secondary uh, for just a couple of spots. So Nebraska's doing really well there. Yeah, and we're talking defense of storyline recruiting Sean Callahan Nate Klaus uh, we just went over a bunch of guys to watch let's let's go over the numbers here uh, for, let's start defensive line what are the numbers um, we know that they need to get a good class. What are the numbers right now in defensive line? Well, defensive end, you know, I think that uh, one for sure, maybe two. And they've already added Robert Porsche. So I believe they've got seven guys on scholarship at that position already. So uh, and, and generally you want to carry right around eight. So um, I, they might be done there unless they're unless they're able to add, you know, just a, a special type of talent that you can't turn away. I think they might be done at D end uh, with defensive tackle. They, they like to take three in this class. They already have DeAndre Thomas, the, the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Because they're only at five right now, right? Yeah. So they need to add three. And, and what's interesting was I think early on in the recruiting period, they were looking to add for sure a junior college prospect. But now it seems like they've kind of shifted away from that. Um, you know, I know Isaiah Johnson out of NEO was a guy that they really liked, but he tore his ACL in the spring and they really backed off there. And now it seems like they're, you know, content with going the high school school route and really developing these guys and getting them under Perella's wing and, and bringing them along there um, and having them for four or five years instead of just a couple years. We're talking now uh, defensive storylines here uh, number wise. Let's go to linebacker. You, you look at Trent Bray, Nate. I mean, he, it's almost like he it's one of those TV shows where he bought the house that was just completely <laughs> needing renovation. You know, he put the bathrooms in and he put the new kitchen in and and whatnot. And slowly but surely those linebacker numbers are, are where they should be right now. But what do you see right now as the, the realistic numbers at linebacker? Yeah, Trent Bray has definitely flipped this position. He flipped uh, this house. Yeah, he flipped this house <laughs> big time. And uh, and now you're talking about a position that's, that's deep with talent. They already have two commitments. Uh, Willie Hampton, who's probably who's arguably one of the top overall uh, at, you know athletes at the linebacker position in the country out of Florida that's committed. And then Avery Roberts, who's a top 100, rivals 100 uh, uh linebacker out of Delaware so they I think they want to add one more and uh and there's, there's a handful of names right there, but I don't know if you can necessarily point to, to one guy that, that really stands out and say this is the most likely candidate uh, to, to fill that last position. But uh, the good thing is that for that final spot, they can be kind of selective and, and, and pick and choose who they want to bring in. 
So, yeah, let's, let's reset here. Four defensive linemen, three linebackers, right? That's right. So that's seven on the front seven. And let, let's look at secondary now. What do you see right now for Brian Stewart's number, safeties, and corners? I think we'll see total uh, two to three in this class. So only ten defensive players. Yeah, only ten defensive and, players. And potentially up to 15 on offense. Yes, so heavily weighted towards the offense. So that's why these these 10 defensive spots are going to be really premium spots for Nebraska. Yeah, they, they have the luxury of being pretty selective, especially at the defensive back spot because they added a lot of talent in last year's class back there. Uh, only have you know two, maybe three spots in this class. Uh, and they're going after some big fish. When you look at really the, the main players that they're in at right now, they're all – pretty much all of them are four-star or higher type of guys. So uh, – uh, you really have to like that where Nebraska is sitting there right now at this at this point in time. Obviously, things are, a lot of things could change, but I, I think that Brian Stewart is doing a, a tremendous job of recruiting that position. Yeah, you look at what he did last year with Lamar Jackson and, and, and the guys that he was able to get. I mean, if he can duplicate that type of class with a big-name player in there, whether it's a Darnay Holmes or someone else, um, you really have to like the direction he's taking the secondary. The biggest thing that I've seen, particularly with these corners that we've watched in camps, are the ball skills. I, I feel like a lot of the guys Nebraska has recruited in the past were big physical athletes that didn't have natural corner ball skills. I think Stewart has done a good job of maybe recruiting and finding guys that have those natural ball skill attributes that Nebraska's corners really lacked uh, based on just the, the pure lack of interceptions we've seen the last several years. Yeah, the ability to make a play on the ball in the air is, is crucial. And and what we're seeing is, is that Brian Stewart you know, will, likes to go with a bigger cornerback, but he will sacrifice some speed if, if the – or will sacrifice some size if a kid has some speed and some natural ball skills. And, uh, and that's really what we're seeing. And the other thing that, that's interesting to me is the fact that I don't think the coach Stewart gets too wrapped up in, in recruiting a corner specific player and a safety specific player. He wants to recruit a guy who could play both positions so that he can eventually get, you know, the best four to five defensive backs on the team on the field at the same time and, and, and have a lot of flexibility with who he puts out there and what, what types of defenses, what types of situations. So all these guys I think could play multiple positions. Uh, he values um, some size, but we'll, we'll sacrifice that size for ball skills. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again to Tom Dean Hart and Brian Munson as well and Robin Washett for joining us here. Plenty to follow in recruiting here over this summer period. Next week's show will be focused on getting you ready for the Big Ten Media Days. Those will take place in Chicago. Nebraska goes up July 25th, so we will have tons of coverage on Husker Online as we get you ready to go for the start here of the Big Ten Media Days. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 